0: Welcome everybody to the OptiForm Podcast. Today we have a really good friend and actually mentor of mine, Cliff Wilson on the podcast. What's up, Cliff?
1: Hey, what's up?
0: I'm super excited for you guys to really dive into this podcast and listen to what Cliff has to say. Um, And before we get into that, I wanna give you guys a little insight on Cliff. Um, I won't go into the story of of how uh, I met Cliff because it's a very impactful story in my own life, Um, but it's a long story. So to cut it short, give you guys, you know, credibility of who he is. This guy is like the guy, like the contest prep coach, especially in the natural community. I know he's diving all different kinds of realms, but um, this guy has over 120 pro cars that he's produced uh, under his belt, um, eight world titles, um, and he's a natural pro himself. So before we dive in, like I wanted to plug him uh, because he's a huge inspiration in my life. He's given me a lot of knowledge, has helped me with my clients, um, and I'm super excited to have him on here. And, And before we get in, if there's anything else, Cliff? Tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of some things going on, and we'll go into um, refeeds and structuring refeeds, just a bunch of different information about what that means on a on a psychological level as well as a physiological level.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I, I appreciate you letting my guy Duncan sit on on the, sit in on this one. <laughs> he has a lot to offer. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, uh, you know, I, I started doing this about uh, ten years ago, and um, you know at that time. Contest prep coaching wasn't the job that it is now. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I didn't even have a Facebook when I started this. And so um, I didn't really know that I was going to make this my profession. Um, My goal with helping competitors was um, to do it because I loved it and maybe make some like side income at my regular job. And then, you know, before I knew it, um, things just took off. And within a year and a half, I was able to be doing this full time. And so yeah like you said um i remember uh i said to my wife at the time i was like you know if i keep doing this maybe i'll have a couple of pro clients one day that was a that was a statement that came out of my mouth and (laughs) you said 120 pro cards later and you know i've um i've been fortunate i've coached uh eight eight world champions now in the natural side quite a few of um uh Quite a few pros on the untested side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just been kind of crazy how one, 10 years has gone by extremely fast, and two, you know, the sport has been incredibly good to me. And, you know, I'm thankful for you to have me on and, you know, be a part of what you have going on and what you're growing too. Yeah, no,
0: I sincerely appreciate it because um, I want to just provide, obviously, there's a lot of BS out there in the fitness industry. And, um, you know, you and me have talked so much about that and just kind of shedding light on the, the reality of things and just being the best or giving the best, I guess, as a coach, instead of just um, worrying about trying to acquire clients, not really giving them value, um, just trying to run a, a side hustle or whatever it is. And you really dive into a lot more than just the nutrition, just the training. Um, you actually, you know, we were just talking about before this, you have a book coming out just on that. Uh, of more of the the mental part of coaching or or the athletes and stuff like that. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I I guess I don't want to give away too much with it, but it is more about the mental aspects um, that I deal with because at least in my opinion, um, I mean, I think we've all seen it. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people where, um, you know, I talk to them and I consider them to be some of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever spoken to in terms of, research on training and nutrition uh you know the sets and the reps and the macros but then um they don't really do well as a coach they do okay as a coach but Mm -hmm. they don't they don't kill it like some people do Mm -hmm. and i really think that um if you've ever been a coach or if you've been coached you start to realize that um half of it is the training and the nutrition the other half is the mental side of things because you know i think that um a significant number of people can get uh can draw up a, an extremely effective plan but i think fewer people can then get people to follow that plan yep um, yeah 100 you know there's so much that goes into it you know um getting your clients to trust that this is the plan that will get them where they want to go um mm-hmm. getting your clients to trust that they have the capability to get where they want to go yep. uh, and getting your clients to ignore that voice in their head whatever it may be the the doubt that creeps in um you know the thing is when when things get painful you know how do you get them to push through it and i, I think that's literally half of the job that we do and um I, at least in my opinion and you know sorry if i'm going off on a rant here but at least no um, no it, it, go ahead it, at least for myself um my background has been if i'm going to say for the training and nutrition side my background has been um i take what is known about the science of training and nutrition, you know, what has been proven by research. Um, but I sort of blend it with what I see happening in the field and my own, my own ideas. And I try to come up with this, um, you know, it's a, it's a scientific approach, but mixed with um, effective anecdotal evidence and scientific reasoning behind it. You know what I mean? I don't have like yeah. crazy non-scientific <laughs> ideas I'm trying. Um, and I kind of do the same thing with the mentality portion um I'm, I'm a pretty big uh i'm pretty i'm, I'm a pretty nerd i'm pretty nerdy when it comes into looking in uh what the research has to say about what motivates people um you know what uh makes people more confident you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then i also blend it with what i see happens when i say things to my clients do you know what i mean like you've heard me you and i have had lots of discussions about this i find you know i say things like i find when i word it this way to people it becomes more effective
0: yeah. And so communication um, is like a primary staple. The number one thing I probably learned from you in this whole entire, I mean, the longest we've known each other, um, is the understanding of communication with the specific client that you have of how you word it and you know, what their mindset, what their personality is, what their, how they communicate to you. Um, it's just so much different things that go into it, even just through email, um, that, that you can wrap your head around. And I think that what you're saying, like leading the horse, to the water, but actually like getting them to drink the water Two different ball games with giving the tools versus actually them following the tools and having trust that it's going to give the end result even if they have to be patient for an extended period of time right like that's super important
1: and so yeah yeah you know and, and and every time i see um oftentimes when i see clients that are struggling or you know that maybe haven't gotten where they should um for for one reason or another i first off kind of like look at like what is the reason um do they have trouble staying motivated do they you know, the, do they have struggle do they struggle with confidence? Do you know what I mean? Like, and then you start maybe looking at the reasons why, you know, because people have a certain set of genetics. Also, we are the accumulation of our experiences, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so then and then you look at, like, why are they deficient in this area? Mm. And then it's like, what can you say to them to start, you know, reducing that deficiency? 100%. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and yeah. We'll- Go ahead. And it ties into refeeds too. That's exactly
0: what I was going to say. Yeah. And all this ties into actually refeeds because of the psychological portion of, I think, and kind of what we talked about before. But yeah, just to kind of what you were saying before we dive into it, you know, I've had clients now just on a general weight loss spectrum and you just, you don't know who that person is. Meaning like you don't know who, what has happened to them in their past or like their personality, that kind of stuff. And I, I noticed that, especially when people get older, you know, with really high stress stuff going on and. Severe, maybe they have had trainers in the past or whatever the severe low carb diets for an extended period of time um, or whatever their problem is. And they don't get blood like there's a problem, but they don't know what it is. And they try to just diet again, but it's not working or struggling, um, pulling out and, and being like, OK, is it the motivation, accountability portion of it? Is it the hormonal endocrine function of it, which I've personally went through a lot and, and, and realize how much that plays in a role? But anyways. Yeah, not to get off on the the wrong or the rabbit trail here that we've been on, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree with, and I'm super excited to when you when you come out with with that book um, and to to read it and really take a lot of value because, like you said, you can tell people the the perfect plan, but if they can't follow it, or if you don't, you know, relate with them to be able to
1: have confidence in it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, it it is uh, like you said, it ties into refeeds because also. Um, whether people want to accept it or not, you have to tie the program to someone's mental state a little bit. Um, you know, because uh, someone's belief that a plan will work will dictate how much that plan will work. I mean, placebo research shows it. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when you give someone a placebo and you tell them that this will work, it works to a yeah. degree, because yeah. like the the mind has that much. Um, and I guess as we get into this, I guess one thing to even say along those lines is there have been studies how our psychology impacts our physiology. Um, very much so, actually. Um, and we're not, it's not a human being thing either. It's, it's, across. Um, there's a study that I actually love is that, um, I say I love it, but it's actually kind of cruel. But they, they took mice and they gave mice sweetened water. Mm-hmm. The water was sweetened and they put immunosuppressants in it. And the mice's immune systems tanked. And, of course, they felt terrible, you know what I mean, because their immune systems were tanked. And so they did that, gave them sweetened water, let the immune system tank. And um, then they took away the sweetened water and took away the immunosuppressants and let the mice recover. Um, And then they gave them sweetened water again with no immunosuppressants. Their immune system still tanked. Um, Oh, so, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, your belief that something will happen or your expectation will, that something will happen can very much dictate whether or not it will happen. Um, and I guess one more example of phys- psychology affecting physiology is that, um, testosterone levels are very closely linked to, um, what we perceive, how we perceive ourselves. Um, like for one thing actually i'm not sure if you've ever heard this but um they always say that during wartime then more babe, male babies end up being born there's like this idea mm-hmm. that like the men that are lost in war get replaced because women step into male jobs like more male type jobs um factory work and stuff like that women see a slight boost in testosterone enough to produce more male babies uh, just by a few percentage points and then even things like when people get a promotion at work mm-hmm. um, their testosterone raises because they perceive themselves to be of higher value um, and so you know once again it's all perception um, you know, there's a lot of things that will just cause you to increase your testosterone or decrease your testosterone um, and it's like uh, sorry but like you know, men that get married Mm-hmm. they have they see a testosterone drop because like <laughs> the, yeah <laughs> men that have babies also see a testosterone drop too but um uh but like the the possibility of other mates has been removed do you know what i mean oh yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. that alpha that, that hunt kind of that
0: that um whatever the the, the alpha kind of testosterone hormone um, you kind of drop because you're just you limit yourself, and now you're you're not in that mode
1: anymore. <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, you get married. Nothing, nothing physiologically has changed. You know what I mean? Nothing physically has changed to cause that drop in testosterone. It's just you know it's up here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so right. you know, there's yeah. So so um, you know, when somebody says, well, that's just mental. You know, you know, I'm worried about it. it's all connected. You can't separate the two.
0: Huh. Well, yeah, and I, we can definitely, I would love to do a, a different podcast on that. Cause I mean, it's just a huge topic and I think that you are one of the few, if not the only person I know that really ties both of them the best together of how it affects, you know, the physiology with the psychology with it. But um, when we're going through, we'll go back to refeeds. And we'll kind of sort of going down that trail. Um, there's, there's two sides of it in your eyes is what you told me, the psychological side and the physiological side. Before we dive into the deep details how do you like, if somebody's like, you know, in contest prep or or whatever, anybody, um, in a dieting phase, even a weight gaining phase, which we'll talk about, like, if you still do that with weight gaining phases, um, how do you like to go about your refeeds? Kind of explain what you like to do with clients, um, how many days a week, um, the, why you do it this certain way. I mean, kind of go into the details, um, even though I might already know, but I want uh, the listeners to know, um, more in depth and then just, Kind of a simple structure,
1: and then we'll go into the details. Gotcha. Um, so, I would say I start with a base structure of like I almost begin everyone with a once per week refeed day. Um, that's kind of like my standard starting point. Um, I would say most people do well with a once per week refeed day. Um, I mean, if I had to venture, I would say 85% to 80, 80, 80% of my clients can start with that once per week refeed day. And then stick with that. But when I say stick with that, um, what happens on that once per day refeed can vary greatly in terms of how much <laughs> I'm increasing or, you know, or not. Um, but then other ones that I'll use are like a twice per week refeed day, but those can be in other situations like two of them back to back or um, separated, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mm-hmm. uh, three three regular and then refeed, and then two regular and then refeed. Um, mm-hmm. And then another one I'll use is more of like a carb cycling type plan where mm. I start with uh, food high and then I taper lower um, and then repeat that cycle over the course of the week. Um, gotcha. So those are like the typical refeed styles I use. Um, at the end so, of my week is a once per week refeed day and then I work from there.
0: Gosh. Gotcha. Okay. So you start with like a once per week, kind of get where your groundwork is and then you start implementing different things. Do you notice that, uh, cause some people will think of like refeeds, um, you can kind of explain what a refeed is to you and versus maybe people think of cheap meals, you know, uh, and then you're, you're structuring it like maybe for example, that two day back to back refeed is somebody who's very lean that needs just more, like they need to add on more or put in more and about like how you structure that um, <laughs> instead of a once per week, how you go into it two times or when you see somebody, maybe it's a body type thing, maybe it's a metabolism thing, filling on glycogen.
1: I don't know. Um,
0: but kind you mean, of explain you like
1: why I go to the two day. Yeah. Yeah. More of like, how do
0: you, how do you break off from that one? Um, and then, uh, maybe the difference for that one of like, instead of a cheat day or if that is a cheat day to you, the difference in court, like some people I'm just hearing a lot of podcasts or different people announce, you know, cheat meals are more fat and carbs and refeeds are more carb based. Um, if you agree with that, or, I mean, it's all just definition or defining things, but how you like to structure your, your refeed day with, in terms of what macros, stuff like that, then adding on another refeed day if you need to, why would you do that? I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I guess we'll take it part by part and feel free to jump in anytime you have a question or something. So I guess, um, you know, I start with the, the once per week refeed. And, um, so, I mean, I actually give people refeeds in the off season, um, because I feel like it's pretty, um, ingrained into human nature to have periods of overfeeding. Um, you know what I mean? Like didn't evolve to have these, like this perfectly consistent um meal intake yeah and i've really realized over the course of my career that if i try to give people these really consistent food intakes even in the off season um they're still going to end up probably overeating one day per week so i would like to build that in mm-hmm. um because to, you know, yeah uh human evolution you know humans would find meals and then gorge themselves and then probably have a few days where they didn't eat as much and then do so again so I think that it's pretty natural to have cyclical feeding cycles. So I build it in. Um, when someone's in the off season, I will do usually a decrease of proteins, increase carb and increase fat <coughs> because people like to go out and have. Now, I, personally, I don't use cheat meals uh, for my clients. Now, this isn't to say like, you know, my clients won't ever go out and have some sort of like, higher calorie meal and sort of estimate it. But I don't like to build them in because sheet meal is by definition, something that can't be controlled or regulated. And I found that I found that when you do that, things often get out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, If (laughs) not immediately (laughs) over the course of time, they'll get out of control. And especially if you're in like some sort of fat loss phase, if you're in a fat loss phase, I found that I can keep bringing calories down and then the refeed day, continues to rise sort of offsetting what i've done over the course of that entire week um Mm -hmm. and you know so uh if if you're one of those people that's doing a cheap meal once per week and you're like i'm dieting on such low calories how can i not be losing weight and i'm like probably because you're taking in a week's (laughs) worth of (laughs) calories in that single meal and it can really happen um so anyway i so during the off season i go higher carbs and higher fat Mm -hmm. um just seems honestly just seems to work well with people in terms of giving them that mental break Mm -hmm. Um, now when I start cutting, uh, the first thing that goes on that refeed day is fats. I, you know, fats are, um, (laughs) how do I put this? When you're in a contest prep, fats are, um, very essential, but not necessary. That makes sense. you said that
0: you yeah. cut from fats first right is that what you say no, when you're I'm in your a dieting phase okay yeah
1: yeah so like they're, they're essential meaning you have to hit a certain point to be healthy and get things moving but they're not like sorry not necessarily but useful does that make sense so yes yeah. uh, they're the most essential the least useful so it's like once you hit this point of essential is covered for your refeed day you know i mean it, that could be different it could be somewhere between 30 and 50 grams of fats you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but beyond that for a refeed it's not going to be very useful i mean we have tons of stored body fat should we need it do you know what i mean there's no sense in spiking it once per week and spiking up our storage of fat whereas we have plenty if you're if you're in a dieting phase we have plenty of um uh we have plenty of storage for carbohydrates so it's better to bump that up and stock them up so that way we can train hard in the following days um so um fats get lower immediately and then i'll try to keep the refeed days pretty high as i'm cutting as i'm cutting the carbohydrates from the regular days like i try to keep it high so i can get that stocked up glycogen at least mm-hmm. once per week gotcha okay
0: yeah and so and do you bring down relative to like the normal days you bring down protein or do you keep it the same and uh, at first, like an off season, the protein is the same, you elevate fat and carbs, but then in a dieting phase, instead of cutting from fr- protein first or adjusting it, do you, you cut from fat or how do you like to do with their, with their protein macro?
1: Um, on the refeed days, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll usually bring it down as well. Um, okay. Okay. because, you know, once again, I tend to be a pretty high I have my clients on pretty high protein intakes generally, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I I bring the protein down a little bit on the one refeed day. Once again, to make room for more carbohydrates. Gotcha. Okay. And then
0: I know that like all of, and we'll go into like a little more structure. And we'll go into the the mental part of it. But a lot of people, you know, you can't tell them like on a podcast, "Hey, this is exactly the equation to calculate your refeed day" or this kind of stuff because everybody's so individual. Um, like we've talked about, but what are some maybe like symptomatic approaches or things that you can maybe say to have somebody know if they're having maybe not enough of a refeed or maybe too much? Uh, maybe then they can just self dial themselves in the trial and error over a month or two months with refeed days with just more of that symptomatic approach.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I guess I would say, well, actually, let me first touch on you. You touched on it before, like when I decide to venture outside of the once per day refeed, I guess maybe we can go into that first. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So like generally, um, like let's say I would go to a two day back to back refeed. Mm -hmm. Um, now one of the reasons I would do this is if I think somebody has the metabolic capacity to have a higher refeed day. Now I'm going to tell you there's a demographic that I usually use the two back to back refeed days. Um, it's usually bikini girls, um, okay. uh, and it's more, it's usually bikini girls that I would say are on the thinner side. Um, so usually when I say are on the thinner side, it's usually because they have pretty fast metabolisms and they need a significant refeed, mm-hmm. physiologically speaking. Mm-hmm. But, uh, most bikini girls don't like the feeling of having food in their stomach. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 you know the, uh, like not a lot of it so i you know if i give them the one big refeed day they're like oh i feel so bloated on this day and i, I don't like sad, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah and so i say like all right so we break it up into two days mm-hmm. uh, so i essentially kind of like take it and i just put the two days back to back and it, gotcha. it tends to go a lot better psychologically speaking um uh the the times where i will um use refeed days that are like separated, two refeed days that are separated. Um, usually that's in an instance where I have a client that is really struggling with cheating on their diet. Um, oh, like I remember when him, you that's... put when you put too many hard days back to back, some people just tend to cheat. And so if I have those situations, right about the time they're getting ready to cheat, boom, they have a refeed day. And then once again when they're getting ready to cheat, refeed day. I may do one one bigger, one smaller. But um, I find that psychologically, it's like something they can look forward to. You know what I mean? Like um, sometimes when that, some people view that six-day low-calorie stretch as like just like wandering through the desert, not knowing when your next drink will be. You know what I mean? Whereas like if you can if you can put the oasis in their sight line, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's Monday and I get my refeed Wednesday. I'm gonna be there in no time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing there. Um, with your,
0: with your high carb day for the split up, sorry to interrupt, but like, do you, so instead of like that one day, do you change up? Um, I guess my question would be is, is do you find that the timeline to get to completion for like a prep or something like that is elongated a little bit because you're, you're now understanding their psychological part of it to keep them on track with those hard days and then easier days. To kind of make it so it's a shorter cycle of refeeds um, to keep them more consistent. But do you notice that then with that you're able to still accomplish things in the same kind of rate of loss that you like to usually do, or do you have to extend that out? I guess when uh, people get into a show,
1: um, I don't usually have to extend it out. It's just that I warn people like, "Hey, if we do this, your low days are lower." Do you know what I gotcha. mean? Like yeah. they mm-hmm. have to go lower. They have yeah. i was gonna um, say okay. And, and along those lines. Carb cycling is like my final stop. Um, I generally will put it in when somebody's calories are just getting low. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, generally uh, when I say low, I'm talking about um, older female bodybuilders, um, you know, post-menopause female bodybuilders, you know, one, women already have lower metabolic rates um bodybuilders in particular have to get leaner than like a bikini competitor so of course you're going to need to take calories lower towards the end um another thing is uh black females you know anybody who's ever heard me on podcasts say um generally uh, black people have lower metabolic rates slightly than white people women have slow uh lower metabolic rates than men so you put those two together <laughs> you're gonna to end up with um i i have a, I, I don't i actually have a um lot of black female clients um and it's kind of become like a little niche specialty of mine because i think I, i'm one of the few people that sort of like understands one um how hard they need to push mm. to get stage lean but then also two i understand that they can handle it do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i think sometimes even if people understand how hard they need to push they don't do the proper mental work to make sure this person is capable of handling it. Um, and I'm just kind of upfront and honest and I communicate with them about what it will entail and you know they either tell me yeah that sounds great I'm up for the challenge or hell no I don't think I want to do this and then (laughs) then we then we go forward there um so uh so I'll use carbs as a way to like um reduce some of the anguish of you know what I mean like uh, a very low caloric intake Mm -hmm. it'll make it so that I can like give them like two or three days of something very very low but like they kind of ease into it do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's more mental stimulation i guess i would say like you start off with a when i say high day it's not even like a high day but then graduate to like a moderate Moderate, day yeah yeah and then we graduate to like three days of just this sucks you know what i mean but (laughs) but you're sort of like breaking it up you know what i mean like once again it keeps things more manageable mentally um lots of people compartmentalize i think so those are the, 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 the things that I generally go for when I'm looking at different styles of refeeds. Gotcha. And so
0: what I'm hearing is from this process with refeeds, a lot of people are looking at the physiological stuff, which you can kind of explain a second of maybe the physiological part of like refilling glycogen <laughs> and stuff like that. But for what I'm hearing, it's honestly you like your your main strategy behind all this is the perception of the benefit of the refeed for a client so then they can stick on to something be more consistent better adherence um and so that goes with maybe the similar trying to get to the same physiological effects but the psychological part of it is really dictating the action for the client so that's why you're switching things around with maybe different split up days or back to back or or that kind of stuff right
1: yeah yeah and and this isn't to say there's not a physiological aspect to refeeds um because i guess i would say that i think that um You know, keeping things completely steady, if I didn't put in any refeeds, obviously, I would be able to keep calories on a daily basis higher. You know what I mean? Like, all the way through. But um, one, I said I don't think that works psychologically. But the other factor is that I really think that there's some, you know, and actually, uh, Dr. Bill Campbell just posted some uh, research that showed evidence for greater retained muscle mass with refeeds. And I really think there's something to be said for um, if you diet straight through, you're never going to have your muscle glycogen stores topped off. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm willing to bet that there's some sort of protective measure for muscle mass when frequently enough, glycogen levels get topped off. Do you know what I mean? Like they get filled up. Um if your muscle mass is frequently uh, never getting filled up, um, it stands to reason that um the body would not view this muscle mass as quite as necessary or gotcha, useful. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I once again I don't have evidence for that reasoning, but um, you mm-hmm. know, that's not that far fetched to think that um, you know something that isn't being utilized or stored up wouldn't be viewed as um terribly useful. And just so, like the um, body
0: like adapting to multiple different things for adaptive measures for more of a survival kind of
1: mechanism right yeah yeah and and so you know it, as a as a our bodies are incredible adaptive machines, and so um you know if we if we impose controlled starvation upon ourselves in this process <laughs> of contest prep, and so you know, our body can't tell the difference between us contest prepping and us starving to death slowly. And so um, if a feeding period never comes to where we fill up our storage capacity, um, it stands to reason that some of this muscle mass might go by the wayside and deemed unnecessary um, Mm -hmm. by certain adaptive machineries within our body. Gotcha.
0: Is your goal on those refeed days or the whatever structure, of refeeds, is your goal to top off muscle glycogen essentially then?
1: On the yeah. physiological level? Or at least close. You know close. what I mean? Now, how, you know, we'll get into some of the reasons, you know, the differences there, but how much that takes can vary wildly from person to person, and we can talk about the reasons for that. Um, but, you know, some people will need 50 additional grams of carbohydrates to, you know, really, mm-hmm. I don't wanna say top off, but at least make an impact in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, other people might need 300 additional grams of wow. carbohydrates mm-hmm. above what their baseline is. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there can be a lot of variable uh, intakes there. This is what I would think is, is like, listen to this podcast.
0: If I was somebody mm-hmm. listening to this for the very first time, I would try to take this and be like, okay, so I'm, you know, five, six, I weigh this much and I'm a male and I'm this ethnicity and all these kind of things. I'm going to try to shoot for you know, if he's saying, if Cliff is kind of saying uh, maybe a moderate kind of gain, I'm going to shoot for this amount, but it's honestly like, obviously you can't say, Hey, do this, but you can throw a dart at the board is what I like to say, you know, throw a dart at the board and see where it lands. And then, you know, just with trial and error um, you can start adjusting those things. If you have enough mental discipline by yourself to stay consistent to those, to that strategy that you put into place with that first dart, because what I often see is, is like, you know, with coaching, even, um, you know, you and me, like we can't be, I mean, you have so much more experience and we can be like pretty experienced in the sense of being pretty spot on with that first dart because of experience, but the relative changes from that first week or that first kind of system that you put into place, the changes over time is where the actual proof will be in the pudding. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if I, if I'm a Let's do this, because um, I'm gonna give some facts to take into consideration. Okay. Um, I if I'm gonna give people something to steer in the right direction, let's like assume you begin with a seventy percent increase, seventy-five percent increase. Sorry, seventy-five percent increase in carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So let's just assume that that right there. Um, okay. Then like, so some factors are gonna be um, significant. <clears throat> is like uh, you know, if you are male, you're going to have usually a higher tendency to handle more carbohydrates in a single refeed. Mm -hmm. Um, Once again, men tend to handle more food better than women. Um, And when I say this, by the way, um, I'm giving these generalities of things that I've seen over the course of time. Um, but keep in mind, like there's some, sometimes there's a lot of stress. Like I have a lot of like, newer coaches tell me like oh i don't know what refeeds to prescribe my client or i don't know what even starting macros to prescribe my client and i'm like yeah nobody does <laughs> you know what i mean like um, <laughs> that's what i was Yeah the 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 first refeed numbers you give your clients and the first macros you give your clients are total educated guests. you know what i mean like you don't know anything about this person <laughs> um, you're just you're just guessing, um, and you know after a certain number of years of doing it, you get better at guessing. But then, when your <laughs> skill as a coach comes through, is what you do thereafter based on what you observe. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm going to give you like some generalities I've seen to maybe take you in that right direction. Mm-hmm. But um, you know it's it's all going to be about what you do after that first that first stretch. Um, so uh, so yeah, um, I also tend to find that um, generally, if someone's Black, they're probably not gonna be able to handle as much on their refeed. Um, now, here's some other, so women and uh, Black competitors are gonna probably need a lower refeed number. Not always, but maybe a little lower. Um, <clears throat> and there is some research to show that um, black uh, the Black population tends to use fats as fuel a little more readily than like okay. white people okay. and so um you may want to like keep fats a little bit higher for your black competitors um than you would <coughs> for white competitors and even there's another factor too is that um so and then if we're going to talk about also structuring um uh insulin resistance is a little higher in the black community than the white community um it's why I like diabetes is more rampant among black people than white people Um so in that instance, you know, keep in mind um of my black competitors tell me like if you give them a big refeed day, they're like I feel awful for like a day or two after. (laughs) Um um, probably because they're not efficiently storing things like that. If you get that information, use it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. maybe don't hit them with so much all at once. Maybe you need to not give them such a big refeed and spread those carbohydrates across the week you know what i mean the other fact factor is um body type um uh, generally people that have like thinner looks to them you know something you call a little more ectomorphic um you're gonna need to look at that because they're probably more ectomorphic for a reason um, they probably chew through energy really quickly. Um, In my experience, people that have a more ectomorphic body type, they tend to uh, also um, use a lot of energy. They tend to be kind of a little more hyperactive, a little more anxious, things like that. So when you feed them, they probably are using the energy as quickly as they come in, as it comes in. (laughs) So um, that's a factor to consider. Like a lot of times my more ectomorphic clients will tell me things like, God, on my refeed days, I get really hot and I'll even like kind of be sweaty or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like my more endomorphic looking clients will say things like, oh, I get so sluggish and sleepy and I just want to lay down. And mm. so, you know, uh, your ectomorphic type clients are probably going to be um, using a significant portion of those calories as fast as they're c- coming in. So they're not even storing it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That makes total sense. And so that's, a whole different way of even, I even would uh, think about it is uh, just the body types, not necessarily looking at, you know, most people, I think when they look at body types and, and refilling muscle glycogen, um, they think about how much muscle mass they're trying to fill up. And that kind of dictates their number. But it, 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 sound, it sounds like there's more, a lot more to it of just uh, the body type affecting, like you said, being more hyperactive, burning through, just chewing through energy, like you said. And like you know, on the other side, the endomorphic kind of people just makes them feel a little more lethargic. Um, so it's a good point for sure. Um, I guess <clears throat> with this now, uh, you have the structure of like, you know, you're doing a one day a week or whatever strategy. Um, you're kind of giving us, thank you so much for kind of giving the listeners how you like to do it per basis on different, um, ethnicities, uh, gender, um, stuff like that. Um, let's go into like, okay, now you have maybe a game plan. You throw a dart at the board. Like what is the, why, on the psychological factor of doing it. Um, let's go in the more of the mental part of, of refeeds um, and kind of give us your out. And I know we've talked about it already a little bit, but more on, more on the mental part of refeeds and why you do it um, and the benefits to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think a big thing is you're going to be looking at a couple of things. You, you do need to look at what is the mental state um, of the person that you are working with. Uh, you know the we, Each person you're dealing with has different levels of anxiety. Um, And when I say anxiety, there's a couple things like types of anxiety you need to look at. Like uh, you're getting like, uh, okay, some people are anxious because they tend to get like this uh, dieting anxiety where they're very food focused and they don't know, you know, they don't deal with hunger well. I'm sure you've met these types of competitors before, but they don't deal with hunger well. So for them, watching the they're, clock, they're always worried. Like, when am I getting? Yeah, like when am I going to be able to have an increase in carbs? When am I going to be able to have a refeed? When am I going to be able to eat this type of food again? You know what I mean? Um, for those people, you do want the refeed. Um, you want it in there because it's going to ease this this anxiety. And like we said, um, the psychological effects, the physiological and um, there is a lot of evidence and you know, it's funny. I did a, I did a um, seminar in Singapore with some other coaches like um, Eric Helms, Alberto Nunez, Lauren Conlon, you know, we're all people, we're all coaches that have been around the game a long time. And, you know, like Eric has his PhD and Lauren has her master's degree. And, you know, it's interesting. We all compared notes and we noticed the same thing. Like most of our female clients, do not lose their period until we notice them starting to get stressed out. And then the interesting thing is that regaining their cycle after um, contest, regardless of how much body fat they put in on, um, they don't seem to regain it until they have this sort of like comfortable mental space. If they're still stressed out, They can put on 50 pounds and a lot of women still don't seem to regain their cycle um we all notice the same thing across and so um (laughs) and same thing i've actually done uh tests with male clients where um their testosterone drops now testosterone drop is going to happen as a physiological side effect of getting leaner and caloric deficit but we don't notice the plummet until they like get to this really stressed out point do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and usually the longer we can the longer we can delay this stressed out point the longer the, the longer we can go with mitigating this giant testosterone drop that we see gotcha wow so, that, interesting <laughs> a lot of this is sort of like keeping people chilled out and yeah a lot of this is keeping people chilled out and relaxed so then you need to look at like what keeps what keeps this person chilled out and relaxed I mean, how many times have we also seen those people that uh, they're afraid of the refeeds because they're afraid it's going to <laughs> slow their diet progress, right? Yeah. Um, they don't want to take the refeeds, they, they, you know what I mean? So, in those cases, it's like you need to, like, one, go to work with them with your words to try to, like, convince them this is a good thing, like, this is a useful thing from a physical. to the plan a little bit to make the refeed seem less um, – detrimental you know a lot of people view the refeeds as a setback like oh i was making good fat loss progress until this damn refeed you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so um then you need to like make the refeed small enough so where they don't view it as like a as a detriment you know what i mean
0: interesting yeah yep yeah so this totally goes into that mental part of it and um create less anxiety um that's crazy i didn't ever I really dove into that um with the like females with their cycle or just male with their testosterone and plummeting when you notice this is a huge like stress
1: anxiety response, um, and you feel like I' go ahead, I'm not kidding when I say that one of the biggest factors in contest prep and coaching is how do you reduce anxiety? Um, and because there's a lot of it, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're getting up on stage in our underwear. People are judging our bodies. of course, there's a lot of anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Your yeah. hobby. Or fun is most people's nightmare, you know. And mm-hmm. so um so I think anxiety of am I gonna place well? Am I gonna look good up there? You know, uh, you know, a lot of this sport is coming from like this really deeply ingrained secu- insecurity of am I good enough? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you need to like turns and the more you can reduce these anxieties. I mean, research has clearly shown Anxiety reduces recovery from training. Anxiety um, reduces um, uh, metabolism. Um, You know, anxiety um, you know inhibits our sleep, which then, of course, inhibits our recovery again. So it's like a large part of what we do is reducing anxiety. Um, And I guess I would say, not just in refeeds, but in all things. I guess one thing I always tell people that are close to me. I don't know if I've ever said this. Publicly, But um, one of my goals when I'm coaching is when I'm coaching somebody, you know, and, and we've worked together, you know, in, in part uh, with coaching as well. And I want my clients to know, not just think, but know that, like, no matter what um, obstacle that we encounter, what situation we encounter, like, I've got them. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. I want them to know. I can handle it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because once, once you reach that point in the coach client relationship, I think a lot of the competitor anxiety goes down when they know they've got somebody working for them. Where like any situation that comes up, he's got me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't
0: agree more. I think that that's, that's part of it. Cause um, or most of it, honestly, just because what I see when you get down, you've probably heard of this where an experienced this where if you don't have that client um, coach kind of relationship and trust, and as they get deeper into the dieting phase and then they're getting closer to the show, they maybe start second-guessing, the anxiety's out the roof. Now they start talking to all of their friends and other coaches in their area. Hey, am I doing, is this right? Is this right? This is what my coaches have me do. You know, all these things. And then what happens is it creates a double-edged sword for the competitor, especially if other coaches or friends are telling them, no, you shouldn't be doing that. So now then just, you know, it destroys the, the trust even more with you. And they're obviously paying you. You've been with them the most. And then it creates this vicious cycle going into that whole thing. So, um, I couldn't oh, agree yeah. more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no. And, and it is, you know, and it, it harms both parties involved if that trust isn't there and you know, and it's funny, I mean, this isn't a refeed thing, but I think you find this kind of interesting yeah. is that a couple of years ago, uh, she won her pro card and then actually won a pro show, uh, and figure. And what stress type competitor, um, and you know but she trusts me and this time around she gets when i say high stress she tends to get stressed out about the scale fluctuations so i was like why don't we remedy this um i've got an idea once a week i want you to get on the scale but i don't want you to look at it i want your boyfriend to look at it and he emails me once per week Um, you then check in with me with everything else and so yeah, I, like that. <laughs> I have been, I've been prepping her this whole time. She's a couple of weeks out now. I don't know if she's going to be able to get on stage right now, given all the stuff going on with COVID-19, but, um, she's going through her entire prep, hasn't known her body weight once. Like, and you know, she's like, it's, it's honestly the best prep she's ever had because she's re- removed this anxiety, uh, this point of anxiety, which is a scale for her. And so, um, refeeds are a point of either removing or causing anxiety in a lot of competitors, and you need to figure out how to make it this tool to remove certain anxieties of when am I going to eat more, you know what I mean, all that stuff. Interesting. No,
0: I love that approach because I've tried different things in the past with clients of like, okay, trying to remove that anxiety because what I noticed is, is if you notice um, the structure of maybe Um, how you do like a check-in sheet and i know that you like to do more of a open open open-ended hey how how are you doing um and and it's amazing to me like having them do their scale weight first and they look at it and then fill in the check-in sheet and kind of converse with you versus filling out the check-in sheet of how they feel how the week went and then looking at the scale and then sending it to you it's like a whole different ball game and then now having somebody else look at the the scale as they fill out how they're doing because the funny part is is They could have a little hiccup or something, but feel amazing and their mental state is crazy good over here. Or they had like a huge drop this week or they had a huge progression and their mental state is, oh, I don't feel like I had a very good week. And then the thing is, is you can adjust things as, as keeping the anxiety as low as possible the whole time. So I think that's super beneficial for people listening right now. This is the communication part with the client of using refeeds. Like it can be something that causes anxiety in that case make it portrayed as not that and and it could be something that's like man i'm almost home free i can finally get to this refeed and have some extra calories and it decreases their anxiety you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah and as you said i do a little bit more of an unorthodox check-in style um mm-hmm. with like making my clients talk to me um and so it's like but um i tend to be like a if things appear to be progressing well i honestly sometimes won't even ask about it because there's sort of that, um like you know sometimes by observing something you kind of alter it and so yeah <laughs> and so I yeah bring it up uh, try to, yeah so if things are progressing well a lot of times i want to ask it but if like i find that we're you know they seem stressed out or they're not progressing well or whatever it may be then oftentimes i'll start asking questions like how do you feel after your refeed days how do you feel going in your refeed days you know those are like questions you can ask oh i feel bloated after my refeed days i I don't feel well. If they tell you something's at all off with it, you know, I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't ever get fully filled out enough during my refeeds. You know, these are asking your clients questions can tell you a lot. Like I think sometimes coaches also put a lot of um, pressure on themselves to just like know. You know, from the numbers, like they're like I'm I'm Neo in the Matrix. I'm just gonna look at the numbers and know what the problem is. Like no, you know what I mean. Like ask them questions. Like they're in their own skin. They have some good input to you know what i mean yeah no
0: exactly exactly i think there is a lot of pressure because you yeah i mean confidence and then once the client senses you don't have confidence in what you're doing then they don't have confidence in you and then it becomes bad from there so ask questions get more information i think it'll give you more confidence too um to communicate better um but you were kind of talking with um maybe feeling bloated stuff like that and you know i will kind of we'll kind of wrap up here in a sec but how do you like cuz i know a lot of times with refeeds people be like oh i'm having Pancake a huge thing in bodybuilding, right? It's like pancake refeeds or all this um, you know, kid cereal or, or whatever it is, more simple based stuff to eat. Um, and they'll have like like they're they're projecting this refeed on like these pan, like not the caloric intake or the numbers or whatever to their clients, uh, but the pancakes, like the certain food is gonna make you like fill out and 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 raise your metabolism and, and have all these great benefits because of that food, right? And so, (laughs) um, how do you like to kind of do the refeeds in the sense of food choices and explaining that's not really true. Like, here's what we're shooting for. Like, here's what I want you to do. Um, if you have bloated, if you're, if you're bloated or whatever, like maybe change this. Um, how do you kind of approach that instead of the old school, what I hear of like pancakes and whatever, uh, what do you like to do with that?
1: Yeah. You know, the idea that there's like these great refeed foods, um, You know one everybody's digestive system is so different um you know it's one of the reasons like i don't give my clients exact foods um because everybody's you know i may my digestive system may feel good after eating something but you know well i mean we need look no further than white castle some people out there love love white castle other people are like oh my god I'm on the toilet for a week after I eat White Castle, right? (laughs) So um, we need to look no further than White Castle to tell us how varied individuals' digestive systems can be with handling different food. Um, So, um, you know, when it comes to certain things, I think that people get like this, like there's these magic foods. Um, You know, it's all nutrients, you know? Um, And so I I highly encourage my clients uh, when it comes to refeed food choosing. Um, I preach responsibility and moderation mm-hmm. you can have ice cream but don't get all of your daily carbohydrates cream you know what i mean like um that's responsibility and moderation um you know like use this as a chance to maybe get some fruit you know what i mean like uh, some nutrients that maybe you've been missing on your normal days mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah and so a lot of exactly. these things can be very helpful um so yeah indulge a little bit more but don't go to the extremes with everything yeah,
0: no, 100%. And I, I guess from my own kind of personal experience, thinking back and how things have changed and, and what I've learned from you and, and versus like past of the coaches that I, that I was coaching me in the very beginning, and almost like that whole pancake thing, I understand like the coach is trying to make it as controlled as possible, like this controlled thing. And you have it specifically at this time, this amount of pancakes or whatever, and a certain food. Well, what I noticed is one, on the physiological level that pancakes actually make me like kind of pretty gassy. So it actually makes me feel like shit. And, and so then I'm like, okay, I have to do this. And, but the thing was is the psychological part of it is when I used to do that, say you're in a severe, you're like at the end of phases of prep and you're really starving and you're looking forward to that refeed. Well then back when I was younger and maybe not as mentally as uh, strong, I guess, as now, um, and it's gonna develop, keep developing over time, I think. But I would be like on that refeed day, like shit. I gotta, I want to just get this day done, go to the gym, and just, just come home so I can have my pancakes before I go to bed because I'm just so hungry, right? And it would be like this level of anxiety just on that day because you have to plan it a certain way, and you, you gotta wait the whole day, and it's like right there, but you can't have it yet. And um, let me know if I kind of go in and out here. Um, but what I noticed. Is when, say for example, when uh, you helped me in the, going to the last show, we implemented those refeeds and it was like auto-regulated by the food choices that I wanted and on the time frame that I wanted to even have to be on a training day, it could be on a non-training day. Um, what it did is, is it gave it like structure and like what you're saying is control, but allowing the control of my hands. So then I didn't have that anxiety of like, I got to wait because I can go and I can structure like the high, the refeed day, how I want it. Um, with like, if I'm feeling it, like in the, the crazy part was, is I didn't, I didn't want pancakes because the sensation of reducing my anxiety was from feeling full. So I would have like still high uh, nutrient dense foods. I would just have more of those same foods because the feeling of satiety all day long and it just felt amazing. Um, and and so I think that the, the thing with that is, 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 is really interesting what you're saying. Um, when it comes to letting, you know, doing the moderation and more of a responsibility because then it puts it at the ball in their court a little more, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess, I guess the, maybe the final thing I would say with those repeats along with what you just said is that um, like the, you know, reduction of anxiety. Hey, buddy, reduction of anxiety comes from a lot of things. And, but like the biggest thing, things are out of their control. And, and you know, when you as a coach, whether it be refeeds or training or any part of it, um, the more you can put structure things to where the person feel like, feels like they have control, they have the power to handle or act upon whatever it is they have in their control, um, you empower them. And then the reduction of anxiety comes and refeeds are the exact same way. You know, if the refeed feels like a tool that they can use, rather than just something that is to be sprinted to that is out of their control. You know, those are two drastically different views of a refeed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think sometimes locking people into a specific, um, you know, listen, listen to your clients, what they tell you about refeeds or if it's you, you know, don't lock yourself into one set way of thinking when it comes to refeeds, because whatever allows you to feel in control and powerful and use it as a tool will be the one that will work best for you. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And so, you know, I'll wrap it up here. Um,
0: I know we went over a little bit, but honestly, thank you so much, Cliff, for for coming on here and and really going through really in depth on these refeeds. A lot of mental stuff, a lot of just things that I see whenever I talk to you, literally every single time, you bring up points that you can relate to uh, and understand that it's like not the traditional, like, um, you know, do this for their training or do this for the nutrition. There's a whole entire encompassing thing um whenever i talk to you so thank you for providing you know all that information um especially with the refi and stuff like that i think it's going to help a lot of people And, and before we hop off here you know for the listeners uh for my profile stuff like that where can they find you um instagram or social media or whatever
1: yeah um i think the two best places would be at my instagram which is um at cw team wilson or at my website which was um teamwilsonbb.com. Cool. Awesome. Well then, yeah, I'll take all that stuff. I'll get that from you and then uh, put it in
0: the description box. So if you guys have any questions, um, for the people who are viewing this or listening, um, I'm going to put that stuff in the description box so you can reach out, maybe shoot him an email, check out his website. Like I said, this guy's like the most credible guy I know. Um, really good guy too, honestly. So, uh, (laughs) other than that, thank you again, Cliff. And, um, we'll do this again sometime. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. See ya.